Thousands of families and businesses on the Navy's water system don't have to imagine a water crisis. They're living it. From low water pressure, boil water advisories, and flooded yards due to broken water lines, it has been one challenge after another. We're also coming up on a year anniversary of dealing with fuel-contaminated water. The busted pipes are also delaying the unpacking of a million gallons of fuel in the network of pipes linked to the Red Hill Fuel Storage Facility. We talked to families who have been forced to pick up supplies of bottled water provided by the Navy during this latest water crisis. It's just a little annoying. I feel like it's coincidence it's happening right around the time of our water contamination last year. So that's just, we're just um, waiting till we get more information. That's about it. They did uh, repair the big break and that they might lift the boil advisory like Saturday. Um, I don't know, do you have a big family that you have to worry about? You know, do you have pets yeah, or kids? I have kids and pets. So we're just kind of listening to what they're asking us to do and limit the water usage, but it's kind of hard when you have kids and making sure that they don't consume the water when they're showering and stuff like that. So we're hoping that it is what they say it is and nothing more. And were you up in a hotel a year ago? What was that like? like uh, it was stressful. We homeschool, so we had to be back and forth, and the dogs were not in the hotel. We were, they were not allowed, so we had to be commuting. As you come up on that anniversary, I don't know, what are you thinking? I guess you're glad to be in your own home, though, this time. Well, yeah, we are. We're, ha we're happy that we don't have to, like, have to commute back and forth, but we just want to kind of go back to a regular life. It's a little traumatizing. The, if we feel like it's just happening around the same time, it's a little weird. But that's all I, I have. Okay, Thank you. Right. And so how have you folks been dealing with all this? Um, you know, since it happened last year, we're kind of accustomed to it. And uh, we just take it day by day and boil the water and come up here and get the water. And it's just kind of nothing new at this point. Yeah. Do you have uh, water or water pressure? What's your situation in yes, your neighborhood? we have water. Um, everything was fine. The water pressure only went down just a small amount and then it came back. So it looks clean to us. It doesn't seem any different, um, but we are not drinking it. Yeah. I don't know if you have a large family or pets. <laughs> yes. Um, we don't have any pets. We do have two kids and uh, yeah, so we're just not drinking it or cooking with it, but we are still washing our clothes, doing our dishes, kind of have to, you know, limit it. The city and county does this every year. It's imagine a day without water. Yeah. You guys don't have to imagine it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this day? Of um, we are very, very lucky. And again, thanks to the military and these folks being out here, you know, we just appreciate them all the time. We appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yes. Water pressure is just really low. It's just a little bit low. But um, I know it's kind of scary to think about the bacteria in the water. Um, but I mean, thank God that they have this water to help us with. But. And then what neighborhood do you live in? Fort Island. And do you have a large family? Yes, there's five kids or five people in our in our family. Wow. So you're just trying to make the best of an unfortunate situation. Yes. Yes. Of course. Um, are, are your kids going to school? I know they've shut down a number of childcare centers. Um, they are going to school. Yes. Um, but I mean, their school got uh, water supplies from. I can't remember what they said, but also from the Navy. So I mean, I think I think their Navy's trying to do the best they can. I understand the Board of Water Supply uh, did give the okay to provide water to, I think, uh, Radford Terrace, so they've got county water, but I, I don't know if they still have to boil water or, uh, yeah. I know we have to boil water too, but um, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure about other places.
And the Navy said it has finally repaired that break in the large 36-inch water main, one of of, uh, an estimated five breaks. And the Board of Water Supply has provided an emergency hookup for the Radford Terrace neighborhood. Uh, Navy Captain Mark Sohaney gave residents an update at a town hall meeting of Joint Base Hawaii last night. We had four breaks. The one that was just repaired, that was the main break. We had the vehicular accident break uh, last Friday that was isolated uh, and repaired. And then we had the one on Pearl City Peninsula that's been repaired uh, the night before last. And then the one on Westlock. So uh, all breaks have been repaired at this point. Uh, so that's the good news. Uh, but, you know, back to the main break. So we're not out of this yet. There's still a few steps uh, that we need to take here. So I need to slowly introduce water back into the system uh, to restore pressure and system health. Uh, That's the focus, doing that at the speed of safety. Uh, And after that pressure's been restored, we'll conduct some bacteria uh, sampling throughout the system, and then we'll deliver those samples uh, tomorrow uh, to a local third-party laboratory that's Department of Health certified, and then we'll wait for them to come back and let us know Uh, what the status of that is. And of course, uh, once I understand those results, then I'll make the decision to go ahead and lift the boil water advisory at some point. So that's that's like late Friday, early Saturday is what I'm tracking. So yesterday, we were on track to have this repaired on Tuesday. Now I'm on track to have everything done uh, and hopefully lift the boiling water advisory uh, on Saturday. So we're three or four days ahead of schedule. That's good news. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, but I also want to point out as we slowly crank the valve um, deliberately, uh, there may be fluctuations in pressure uh, and there might be a slight smell of chlorine. Uh, and again, uh, and that's as we introduce more and more water into the system. Uh, you may see uh, some fire hydrants that are open and so what we're doing is we're monitoring the entire system and in some areas it's high some areas it's low and we're we're relieving high pressure relieving air out of the system and that's what we're doing for the next 24 hours to stabilize it um, and get the system health where it needs to be and by then we should have um, we should be in a good position uh, and just waiting for those lab results the, uh, you know, I know this is difficult. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. Um, and we are doing everything we can uh, to support you. Reach out to my EOC. Continue to do that. I think we've taken hundreds of phone calls today. And it's not just water related. I mean, low pressure, quality, quantity, that's great. But if you got a family support question, a CDC question, you know, MWR questions, any type of base support questions, call the EOC. I've got my entire staff lined up uh, to get that answer uh, to you uh, via our our social media. So that's what we're working on. Um, And then the most important thing is we have to continue to conserve water. Um, As you can imagine, we're bringing a lot of water into the system uh, and and we want to maintain water conservation and it gives us a better chance in a, in a faster opportunity, if you will, to stabilize that system and get the system where we need it uh, so we can bring potable water back uh, as soon as possible. Um, so I really appreciate your cooperation uh, in that conservation effort. So again, um, 
Really appreciate the feedback. We're getting a lot of feedback. Thanks for the folks that are out there supporting. We've got a lot of volunteers that are doing a lot of work. Uh, this is a team effort uh, from a contracting standpoint, a NAFAC Hawaii engineering standpoint, public works, board of water supply. Uh, everybody's working together as a team uh, to keep 93,000 people with water and to keep the base operations uh, moving forward. Um, so that's the goal. And that was joint uh, base Pearl Harbor a Hickam Captain Mark Sohaney with an update to the waterline repairs. Again, the military hopes to be able to drop the boil water advisory this weekend uh, so, and that schools and offices can resume slowly getting back to normal. And just a note, in about an hour from now, the governor will be holding a ceremony to mark this campaign to raise awareness about what it would be like without clean running water. Support for HPR comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, reopening the Doris Duke Theater with art house films from around the world, live performances, and more, reflecting Hawaii's cultures and communities. HonoluluMuseum.org slash theater. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Matson, committed to strengthening island communities by assisting local food bank networks on Oahu and the neighbor islands. Matson.com. You are back with the conversation. Koi mayoral candidate Michael Rovin Poai has worked in the Koi County Parks and Recreation Department under five different mayors. He now works at the Wailua Golf Course. And while Poai acknowledges his bid for office is a long shot, he wants to try and make changes. I've worked for a county for 24 years, you know, and I've seen a county go from where everybody was like a family, you know, every department. And in a, ever since COVID, I've seen a county just fall apart, you know, and that's why I'm running. What do you think are the most important issues facing Kauai residents today? We need a landfill. We have to tackle the roads, fix the dilapidated parks as soon as possible. And, you know, as far as affordable housing, you cannot call it affordable housing anymore. You know, climate change is in the future. And I see the council, they made something last week, you know, about climate change. And that's a good thing they passed. And they were talking about construction. And I want to see everything fair, you know, when these contractors go in for permitting like that, that everybody gets taken care of in a fair way. You know, not just a few handful of people on the island, but everybody treated equally. What else do you think you might be able to do just to deal with things like homelessness and, and housing? Well, you know, I talked to a lot of these people. It's not so much homeless, it's more on a mental health side. Like, we have shelters here, but there's rules. You have to be there by a certain time, then you can leave the next morning by a certain time. So that's why these people just roam at night, drink coffee, soda, and then they look for shady places during the day. They rest all day, then they go out wandering at night, you know? What about affordable housing? I mean, what do you think we should be doing differently? You know, I think you got federal grants. So maybe like the, for the infrastructure, you can put the federal grant monies into the roads, make the water line, utilities. Then you're able to sell the housing for a cheaper price. 
you know, that's what I want to see done. Like right now, look at it, it's like seven to 800000 That's not affordable. Is there anything more that you think uh, we should do uh, just to deal with environmental issues? From our recycling and how we spray and use chemicals throughout the island, you know, we have to start thinking and be very careful. Well, we do have the dilemma with the Keikaha landfill. I remember, you know, visiting there, and uh, they were talking about running out of capacity, and, and you know, wh- what do you do? Where do you go? I have a friend. He's a instructor in engineering at University of Hawaii, and I asked him, if you pick a site, how long does it take? And he said, when you pick a site, it takes roughly five to six years for it to get going. And it's kind of a shame, you know, you're going driving out to the Pacific Missile Range or the Pacific, and you have to look at this big thing hanging in the air, you know. There, there's other ways, you know, maybe we can go and get land where the Robinson family owns, you know, so they can make money. You know, Robinsons have a lot of land on the west side. The last time they did a study, they wanted to put it behind Kalepa Mountain, but then it, it was too close to airports, you know, and all these stuff, so that went out the door and if you you could ship it maybe china or somebody comes here picks up our rubbish we ship it out but that's too expensive i i just think we have to stop just passing it on and do it make a landfill already i know mayor kawakami says that you know his focus has been infrastructure since he's been in office and he doesn't plan to stray too much from his priorities what do you think sets you apart from kawakami Uh, me i come from a middle-class family Whatever I needed in life, I had to work for it. Uh, Derek was very fortunate. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. So we look at life differently, you know, different ideas, how we do things. And what's the first thing you would tackle? The first thing I'll do, my administration, I'll make sure they know that they're only temporary and to work hard and to be loyal and honest for the people of Kauai and Niihau. There's too much games going on in the county, and I'm sick and tired of seeing this, and that's the reason why I'm running. One promise I make to the people, whether you're a councilman, the legislatures, like an open-door policy. Any council member can call me anytime, and we can work together, you know? Anybody from Kauai, I'll never turn my back, forget them, you know? And I just love and enjoy working with people. Anything else? No, I just want to thank you very much for letting me speak to you today. Thank you very um, much. Aloha. Now that was Kauai mayoral candidate Michael Rovin Poai, who was making his first bid for the county's top seat. He worked uh, in the Kauai County Parks and Recreation Department for almost two and a half decades. He currently works as a tractor operator at Wailua Golf Course. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Pacific American Lumber on Oahu with neolith-centered stone, a heat, stain, and scratch-resistant surface for indoor and outdoor countertops, flooring, and walls. P-A-C-A-M-Lumber.com. 
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the new Hawaii Island Community Health Center, promoting lifelong health and wellness through health care, open to all. Learn more at hicommunityhealthcenter.org. Are you in need of some shut-eye? Wouldn't it be nice if there was someone dedicated to making sure that you had the optimal conditions for a full night's rest? Well, we're revisiting a story from our Sleep Week series that looks at sleep in the animal kingdom. The conversation Savannah Harriman-Pote takes a trip to the Honolulu Zoo. You feel a difference, especially as the sun goes down, the air just becomes that much more cooler and more inviting. Uh, With that comes a little bit of strangeness just because Things look different in the dark. We've actually had staff members get lost here in the dark sometimes. They've worked here for years, but at night things look different. Charles Lee is the Interim Director of Education at the Honolulu Zoo. He's offered to be our tour guide for the evening so we can get a sense of just how the zoo transforms after dark. A few animals act as timekeepers for the zoo, sounding off as the sun goes down and letting everyone know it's time to clock out. It's Moxie. So that's a lion's roar, a lion's chuff. Uh, Moxie does usually like to use it in this area because the rocks provide great acoustics to make it louder. Now, kind of like with some of the other animals we talked about, she'll often do this usually in the mornings and in the evenings as a way to remind everyone that she's healthy and strong and this is her territory so again same reason why roosters crow you know except here in hawaii the roosters might go off at 2 a.m sometimes (laughs) now that's an interesting sleep cycle i want to know about because not all of those animals are in the zoo Uh, in any case as you may have heard though they don't really sound like what you would expect a lion to. And that's movie magic for you. So most of the time in movies and televisions, you might be looking at a lion, but you're actually listening to something else, usually a tiger roar. Tigers actually are supposed to have the scariest roar of any cat. They even hit what we call the fear frequency, where it generates terror and panic in whatever hears them to flush out prey. But because lions are actually roaring to let everyone know they're there instead of to scare something out. They actually have a much louder roar. They are believed to have one of the loudest roars of any cat. It's said in Africa that if you're close enough, you can actually feel the air shake from a lion's roar. I say if you're that close, it's not the roar you should be worrying about. The visitors have gone home, but a few creatures are just waking up. What animal do you think has the best lifestyle? Hmm. Porcupines, I think, have it pretty good. Oh, if you look over here, you can see they're still tucked in sleeping. We have two sisters, Poe and Grunt. Now, they're nocturnal, so they'll come out when it's nice and cool. They don't have to bother with the hot, sunny day. But because, well, they have such spiky quills, they're not often bothered by too many animals, and the ones that do bother them, well, they get the point soon enough. What time does the zoo close to visitors? So guests are allowed to normally stay inside until 4 o'clock. So if you have a creature like a porcupine that's nocturnal, How do you balance the fact that when visitors are here and want to learn about the animal and see it in action, that's also the time when they're sleeping? That is true. Uh, Fortunately, there's always exceptions to the rule. Now, some zoos do have what we call night houses where they actually have completely enclosed areas where the, the lighting is turned off and the animals can maneuver around. But even with our porcupines, 
In the mornings, they'll still be fairly active as long as it's nice and cool and you can see them forage. At the same time, during the day, our keepers also try to have enrichment or training sessions with them, sometimes on exhibit, so people are able to see them that way. Mm -hmm. And of course, well, sometimes we're lucky enough we see them on our evening programs as well. Okay, okay. And, that, and there's no detriment to the porcupine for having to kind of diverge from what they might normally do? That's correct, because they're still going to get their maximum amount of sleep necessary. The staff members at the zoo do everything they can to make sure the animals are comfortable, but they can't control their neighbors. So this is our largest mixed species exhibit containing both giraffe and zebra. If you take, hey Squirt, how's it going? So this is actually one of our giraffes over here. Actually, oh, this is Neelix, by the way. So Neelix is the middle child. <laughs> over there on the far left, you can see his half-sister Sandy and Squirt, our big male giraffe, is the 51st giraffe born at the zoo and he's hanging out with Mr. Z, the zebra. Now, as you can hear, there is a road that goes right by. I believe that's Pocky Street. And so that's always been one of our biggest concerns here at the zoo. And that's also why we have our barns. Now, most animals, again, do have access to their exhibit at night with the exception of, say, the lions are a great example, but also the giraffe and zebra. And that's just to avoid them getting stressed out by what's going on over here. And so in the barns, we know they're nice and safe, and so they can't trip or injure themselves on exhibit if they're startled by a fire engine or someone revving their motorcycle. And so if a, if a giraffe, for instance, waits up, mm -hmm. right, because a fire truck passes or we just heard a helicopter overhead, they don't necessarily know what that sound means. Are they able to like roll over and go back to bed, brush it off, or will that animal be awake for a while? Great question. So, although each animal and each individual is different in intelligence, they are capable of learning. Again, that's how we train our animals here. And so, they do learn and get used to the fact that sirens cannot hurt them. They might be annoying, but they don't last forever. They usually go right past them. These animals are able to resume a sleep cycle if they happen to be sleeping during that time. Again, they tend to nap for 10 minutes, 15 minutes at a time before they wake up and, again, get active again. Now, when it comes to sleeping, when they're lying down, they're not gonna suddenly spring up anyway, so it won't bother them in that sense. Otherwise, they will sleep standing up. And so, at that point, they're already able to act if there is a predator in the area, which is pretty good. And what do we know about why giraffes sleep in such, such, sor such short bursts? Again, we think that at least in the wild, it has to do with vigilance and just making sure that they do not become the special of the day. Mm, and But they still do that here in this environment where they're safer? Not as much. Again, we've seen some like squirt to take much longer naps, especially during the daytime. So yeah, again, there's some deviation there as well. That was Charles Lee, the Honolulu Zoo's education director, giving HBR Savannah Harriman Pope an after-hours tour. We'll be back with uh, more on giraffe naps and other sleep stories right after the break.
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from BIA Hawaii with virtual and in-person residential construction safety training October 21st. Open to the public. Registration at BIAHawaii.org. Support for HPR comes from UH Manoa's Osher Lifelong Learning Institute for ages 50 and older, offering virtual classes including art, film, history, and gardening, with start dates through November 22nd. More by searching Osher Hawaii. You're back with the conversation, and we're going to take you back to a re-air of an interview the conversation Savannah Harriman Pope did with Honolulu's Charles Lee. They went on an after-dark tour to showcase what sleep looks like in the animal kingdom. Giraffes may be the zoo's best nappers, but there's one creature that's unmatched when it comes to all-nighters. Over here is Mari. And so these are our female Asian elephants. Uh, Mari, as the senior elephant, is the matriarch of our herd here at the zoo. In elephants, the oldest, wisest female is in charge because an elephant never forgets. Right now she's dusting, so she's actually using mud and dirt as a way to not only keep cool, keep the sun off her back, but at night it will protect her against mosquitoes and other biting insects. They basically just get a mouthful of dirt. And elephants are remarkably intelligent. Not it feel like they are the ultimate ace. I mean, they're massive and powerful. They're intelligent. They can even swim and use their trunks as snorkels. And again, they have a similar lifespan to people, but they can get by on only about four hours of sleep. So that's one of the great mysteries out there. <laughs> Do we have any theories as to why they need so much less sleep? Hmm, I'm sure there are, but we there haven't been any studies completed that have been able to test it. and. Well, with a lot of conservation and research, a lot of these studies were put on hold during the pandemic. Now, as restrictions are easing, we are hoping that people will be able to go out there and study them some more, actually collect more data on them. The more we know about these animals, the better we can protect them. So if elephants are only getting four hours of sleep and there's 24 hours in the day, how are they spending the other 20 hours? Crossword puzzles? In the wild, the majority of their day is dedicated to walking and looking for food. These are massive animals and so Mari's about 9,000 pounds, give or take a few hundred, and so she would need several hundred pounds, maybe five or six hundred pounds of food a day just to keep going in the wild. Now here at the zoo, they need only about half as much because they're not looking well, because their food is provided for them, they do not need to walk constantly. Mm. Now, fortunately, she still has enough space to get that exercise in. She actually lost weight when she and Vigai lost weight when we moved them in here. But the key for all of our animals is enrichment. Enrichment is, again, like I said, something that can keep them stimulated and active. Elephants are so intelligent, sometimes they can make their own enrichment, whether we want them to or not. If you look right now, she's grabbing her truck tire, one of her favorite toys. Sometimes she'll just put it on her foot. Oh, if you come over here, you can see it a bit better. She likes to wear it on her foot and wear it as a bracelet. People often come up and voice their concern that the elephant's trapped, but she actually likes jewelry that way. She even <laughs> has several toys, including harmonicas in the back. What's interesting is that tire is made out of rubber, so of course it's an insulator. It doesn't block electricity. They also have giant plastic boomer balls that do the same thing. And just to highlight how intelligent and creative these animals are, Vigai, our other female, has actually figured out that, again, these objects block electricity, and so she will regularly roll them up against the electric fence just to grab extra leaves and snack on. In fact, if you take a look at these howl trees growing here, they're nice and healthy on our side, but you can see on the elephant side, they're kind of stripped away at an angle, and so that's all Vigai's handiwork over there. 
So if Mari and Vagai don't have to spend the same amount of time that they would in the wild, as you said, just feeding themselves, mm -hmm. do they sleep more or are they still locking in about four hours? We think they're still clocking in at about four hours. And so they're just spending the rest of their day with other pursuits, whether it's using their pool or again, taking mud baths as well. We are, on, in Vagai's case, snacking on the side. We will actually fill some of that time too. So many of our animals, especially our elephants, have training sessions daily with our keepers where we basically use some of their favorite treats as rewards to teach them specific behaviors. And these behaviors are of course used to better take care of them. They know how to present their feet so we can cut their toenails and scrape their pads, make sure there aren't not any rocks stuck in there. They also have a bath time every day just to get the old dirt off. And once the elephant's nice and sparkly clean, they'll just throw a new layer of dirt right on top of that. In the wild, sleep is a vulnerable state. That's why giraffes only nap in such short bursts, and monkeys and lemurs crawl high into the trees in order to stay safe. Even a tiger will take a long patrol of its territory, looking for other tigers, before it beds down for the night. And you can see those behaviors right here in the zoo, even though the zookeepers work around the clock to make sure the animals are comfortable. Lee says we should keep this in mind, that sleep can be a kind of luxury before we so readily go without it. I feel like knowing that we should definitely appreciate the moments we have to sleep, whether we have you know, just a few minutes for a quick cat nap or we have an entire evening from sunup to sundown. I think yeah, every moment of shut-eye we get, we should appreciate it. And that was Charles Lee, the Honolulu Zoo's interim education director. He was talking with Savannah's, uh, Savannah Harriman Pote. That story originally aired August uh, 26 of this year. You can find that interview on the conversation page of our website, hawaiipublicradio.org, along with our entire Sleep Week series. And that is it for our show today. I'm Catherine Cruz. 